So good morning. Is everyone good this morning? I'm good too. Thanks for asking. Uh, I've been really bad though in the week. Um, had man flu. Really, really bad. That's a little bit better. Bad chest, bad chest, bad throat. And you know, I've got a deep voice anyway, but, but this week I suddenly turned into Barry White. Don't know what was going on. Maybe a bit Tom Jones now, I'm not sure. It's getting a little bit better. But I think Dee really appreciated and enjoyed the Barry White bit. But um, I'm glad it's going. Now, interesting fact about Tom Jones, just while I mention him there on the subject. Did you know Tom Jones, his name was? Tom Woodward. There you go. So I've got more in common with him than you think. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, who, was, uh, who participated in the Black Country Front Run this morning? Let's show your hands. Well done. Let's give these guys a, a round of applause. You know, I was, I was really tempted to participate, but you know temptation's bad for you, so I stayed in bed that extra hour. So back to today. Back to today, and we're in our last um, series week t- uh, of our teaching series, Out of the Ordinary, where we've looked at um, ordinary people in the Bible that have been used by God to do something um, out of the ordinary for him. And as Christians, you know, we're called to live out of the ordinary, aren't we? You see, nothing uh, about God is ordinary. He is only ever extraordinary. And he chooses you. He chooses us to partner with him and then to live an out of the ordinary, an extraordinary life. And you may have um, an ordinary job. You may not have a job. You may be doing the same thing day in, day out. Your routine may be ordinary, (laughs) but it's out of the ordinary that we're called to live from. See, the situation you find yourself in doesn't determine who you are. It's your transformation that does that. And any life that has been or is being transformed by Christ is never ordinary. This morning, uh, I want to talk to you about an out-of-the-ordinary character in the Bible. Um, And he may be out of the ordinary because of his total transformation by God. He's not often spoke about. And and his story may be out of the ordinary um, for some of you this morning. Um, You may not be familiar with it. His name is Obed-Edom. And he's quickly becoming one of my Bible heroes. Sorry, You may not have um, heard of him. And he may not be as popular as some of the other heroes of the faith. But I want to say that he's just as faithful. See, there isn't um, a particularly great and lengthy story written about him. But what is great was his heart for God. And it's because of his heart for God that he leaves a legacy that is incredibly lengthy. And my heart is uh, after you've heard his story today, that he becomes one of your heroes too, and that you'll catch what he had. His story uh, is in two books of the Bible, um, 2 Samuel 6, and then from 1 Chronicles 13. And we're going to look at it firstly in 2 Samuel 6, um, from verse 1. The, the words should come up on the screen. So it says this, then David, then David again gathered all the elite troops in Israel, 30,000 in all. 
he led them to Bala of Judah to bring back the ark of God, which bears the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, who is enthroned between the cherubim. They placed the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from Abinadab's house, which was on a hill. Uzzah and Ahio, Abinadab's sons, were guiding the cart that carried the ark of God. Ahio walked in front of the ark. David and all the people of Israel were celebrating before the Lord, singing songs and playing all kinds of musical instruments. Lyres, harps, tambourines, castanets and cymbals. But when they arrived at a threshing floor, at the threshing floor of Nacon, the oxen stumbled and Uzzah reached out his hand and steadied the ark of God. Then the Lord's anger was aroused against Uzzah and God struck him dead because of this. So Uzzah died right there beside the ark of God. That's a bit harsh, isn't it? Wow. I think we'll, we'll stop there and, and it's a good time to pause to, to look at what it says here in a bit more detail. You see, what we've just read can appear to be very harsh. They're moving the Ark of the Covenant, which contained the, the tablets, the Ten Commandments of God given to Moses. The Ark is the place where God chose to manifest his presence. The Ark of the Covenant was the most holy and sacred symbol to the people of Israel. They knew the significance. They knew the importance. They knew the power that the Ark of the Covenant had. And it's here, uh, as it's being moved on a cart, it starts to slip. And the guy called Uzzah puts his hand out to steady it, to prevent it from falling. It's at that moment he's struck down dead by God. Still harsh for me. Well, maybe not. You see, there's a whole load of laws, a whole load of rules that were written hundreds of years earlier on how the ark should be handled and moved. And you can read them in the book of Numbers. And the ark was to be moved only by the Levites, the, the priests, who were to carry it using carrying poles. You see, they were never to touch the ark itself. The touch, to touch it was a capital offense under Hebrew law. God had made a covenant with Israel, hence the name. There was an agreement on how it should be treated and what God would do as a result. And you know there's always a consequence when a rule is broken. I know that. I've been to prison as a result. And it's here that God is directing his anger, his anger as much to David as well as Uzzah. You see, David, King David, he should have known better. He should have understood the rules that were in place. And this today is a, is a big contention for non-Christians. You see, they say, they say that our religion is just a bunch of rules that we have to keep. But they don't understand, though, that it's not about religion. It's about a loving relationship. You see, God never intended to be rules. God never intended rules to be a measure of our acceptability. They're not a condition for a relationship. They're a confirmation of one. You see, we don't keep rules in order for God to love us. We keep them in order to show our love to God. You see, rules were given by God because he loves us and he wants us to come to no harm. They're not given to control us or to annoy, annoy us, but to protect us. And we have rules, don't we? We have rules everywhere, rules in marriage, rules that are made out of love to protect both husband and wife. We have rules for almost everything and anything in this day and age. Rules are there to keep order, to protect us. Even in fighting, there's rules. Even some of the 
bad fighting, the bare knuckle fighting, the cage fighting. You know, there's rules because if not, there would be murder. And then can you imagine if there was no traffic road laws? No road traffic rules. What if, um, if at a red light, you know, you just plowed on through? My wife, Dee, uh, as some of you know, is Scottish. Please don't hold that against her. <laughs> and just to say she would have voted no, she thinks we're better off together. So there you go. Anyway, she was, she was brought up in the Outer Hebrides, far, far northwest on, a, on an island called um, Bembecula. And she learned to drive there. She passed a test there, and she drove there uh, a number of years before coming to England. Uh, And on the island, there is no traffic lights. There's a few highland cattle that you occasionally have to stop for, but no traffic lights. And honestly, to this day, when Dee is driving and we're uh, approaching traffic lights, I'm a nervous wreck. (laughs) I only go to sleep as a passenger in a car if we're on a motorway. You see, we can be approaching traffic lights, and they're on red, and the car's not slowing down, and I'm braking on my side, and still the car's not slowing down, and I'm like, D-lights, D-lights, and then I often get a response, oh yeah, and slams on the brakes. (laughs) You see, rules are there to protect us. Let's, um, Let's continue with the passage, and from verse eight. David was angry because the Lord's anger had burst out against Uzzah. He named that place Perez Uzzah, which means to burst out against Uzzah, as it is still called today. David was now afraid of the Lord, and he asked, how can I ever bring the ark of the Lord back into my care? So David decided not to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obadidim of Gath. The ark of the Lord remained there in Obededom's house for three months, and the Lord blessed Obededom and his entire household. Then King David was told, the Lord has blessed Obededom's household and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went there and brought the ark of God from the house of Obededom to the city of David with great celebration. So we know, um, we know from the story that King David is trying to do the right thing, but it turns out to be the wrong thing. He wants to bring back the Ark of the Covenant and place it in Jerusalem, the capital city, and make it the centerpiece for the nation of Israel after it's been taken away by the Philistines, uh, you know, a number of, of years earlier. And it's here, you know, as they're transporting it, we know that Uzzah tries to stop the Ark from falling but instead he falls down dead. And the Bible says that David was angry at first, but then soon became afraid, and he didn't want to take the ark any further. And it's here that Obadidim joins the story. We're told that Obadidim is from Gath, and that may be familiar to some of you because it's where Goliath come from, the giant that David fought. Obadidim would have been a Philistine, once a sworn enemy of the Israelites, he wouldn't naturally have been David's first choice of someone to trust with the ark, but David doesn't have a choice. He's angry and he's afraid. And some of you may not consider yourself to be first choice here this morning. When it comes to your life, you may think others are better than you. You may think others are more deserving of something rather than you. It could be the job, the promotion, the opportunity, 
even God's love. You know, for some of you, it's okay to think that God can love that person. He can love him or he can love her. But when it comes to you, you may struggle. I want to say stop. Stop and know that you are chosen. You see, you were chosen before the foundation of the earth. There's nothing that you do to earn it and there's nothing you can do to take it away. God chose you and he continues to choose you. You see, for me, it wasn't as much David choosing Obadiah, but God himself. You know, it's funny how all this happened outside of Obadiah's house. And Obadiah, not being a, a natural Israelite, he may have converted at some stage, but he wasn't a priest. He wasn't a Levite. He was not really worthy to host the presence of the Lord. But God says to him, I choose you. And today, this morning, to everyone right here, right now, God is saying the same thing. I choose you. And I don't know what that means for some of you, but for some of you, it means you have to do something. And I believe that's a word right there. You see, you know what God's been speaking to you. You know what he's asking you to do, and he's chosen you to do it. And I want to encourage you to keep listening and to keep and to take that step. I don't want you to miss out on what God's saying because just in a little while, we'll see that it's worth it. And it can seem scary at times, but if it wasn't scary uh, and if it wasn't possibly too big for you to do in your own strength, you wouldn't need God for it. So picture this scene. A man has just dropped down dead for touching the ark. Now Obadiah is told that he's to keep the ark in his house. In his house. No way. Can you imagine that? That's something uh, Indiana Jones would have loved, but not Obadiah. I'll wait. He'd have been petrified, not just scared for himself, but for his whole family. And and the Bible says that Obadiah had eight sons. That's a, a large family. And the ark wouldn't have been something that could just be put in a garage, in a garden shed, or in the loft. It was far too precious for that. It would have probably been placed in the center of their living room. They would have had to have moved furniture. They would have to have moved uh, everything so the ark, so the presence of God could take center stage. And as Christians, you know, challenge number one, as followers of Christ, what is it that we have to move? What is it that we have to put aside so that the presence of God can take center stage? I'm sure Obadiah had reservations. I'm sure he must have thought, is there not anywhere else this can go? I'm sure he wanted to pull out of having the hark at his house, but he didn't. And it stayed with him for three months, the Bible says. And in that short space of time, the Bible says that the Lord blessed Obadiah and his entire household. The Lord blessed him so amazingly and abundantly that the king himself got to hear about it. Imagine this. Delivery vans kept turning up at his house. The family were kitted out head to toe in the latest designer gear. Water fountains, a swimming pool, and a jacuzzi appeared in the garden. And on the drive, a collection of the most expensive sports and luxurious cars, luxurious cars were parked. His kids were better behaved. They became A-grade students at school. He became famous and loved overnight. He got the stylists in. He joined a gym and got a six-pack instantly. 
Heck, his wife even became better looking. He was blessed. He was blessed beyond measure, the Bible says. And if you put that into today's context, how much would you have to be blessed for the queen herself to hear about it? It would have to be pretty significant, significant, wouldn't it? King David hears about it. That's what the Bible says. And now he wants the ark back. He's discovered uh, the right way in how to transport it. So he goes uh, and knocks on Obadidam's door. He goes to the door and he knocks. And I can uh, imagine King David standing there as Obadidam answers. I think you have got something that belongs to me and I want it back. This doesn't appear in the Bible, by the way. I'm just freestyling. And imagine, uh, I imagine Obadidam's face sinks. See, he's devastated. He's gutted. And he's like, no, please, don't take this away from me. I don't mind looking after it. You know, it can stay just a, a while longer. Please, at least, at least let me have a, a chance to say a proper goodbye. My family are out. Please just leave it here till they get back so I can say, uh, so they can say a proper goodbye. He would have tried everything just to keep the ark at his house. You see, he didn't want to lose what he found. See, he knew the importance of what he'd found. And I've had a little bit of fun with the blessings there that he received. But the Bible says that he was richly blessed. But you see, it wasn't the blessing that Obadidim was worried about losing. It was God's presence. You see, it was God's presence that totally transformed Obadidim and his family. And as a result of hosting God's presence, everything had changed. Obadidim knew that it was something he couldn't live without. But now here it's being taken away from him, taken many miles to Jerusalem. It's something that he would never have the opportunity of having again. It was the presence of God that Obadidim longed for. It was the intimacy of God that he desired the most. And what Obadidim does next is remarkable. And it's for me why he's become one of my Bible heroes and a true example of how I want to follow Christ. Obadidim says, look, if you're taking the ark from me, then I'm coming too. See, I can't be parted from it. See, he'd become addicted to the presence of God. It was the only thing that mattered to him. He couldn't live without it. It wasn't about the blessings of God. It was about his presence. And Obadidim left it all behind because he wanted to go where God was going. And in 1 Chronicles 15, where Obadidim's story continues, we read that David appoints men of God, mostly priests and Levites, to host the Ark of the Covenant in Jerusalem. Again, David, King David, learning from his past mistakes, realizes the importance of the Ark of the Covenant. He not only found the correct way to transport it, he realizes the importance of hosting God's presence and how he needs to do that. See, he gets a, a choir to sing worship around it. He appoints musicians to play constantly over it. He has doorkeepers to guard it. In all of these areas, Obadidim's name is mentioned. 
You see, he would do anything and everything just to be near God's presence. It says in 1 Chronicles 15 and verse 18 that Obadidim wasn't even part of the main choir. He was an assistant, a second degree, another translation puts it. He'd have been called upon when the first singers, when the main singers couldn't make it. But that didn't bother Obadidim because he knew that by joining the choir, he'd be close to God's presence. Then verse 21 says that he joins the band, the team of musicians, and he plays the harp. And I don't know if he was a good harp player. He may not have been, but you can bet that he'd have learnt and he'd have been willing to learn because by joining the band, he'd have been close to God's presence. Then verse 23 says that Obadidim was a doorkeeper and a doorkeeper was one of the people that guarded the ark. Not the most of excited of jobs, you know, standing on your feet for hours and hours at a time. You know, picture a beef eater standing outside the royal palace in today's context. Obed-Edom did this willingly. And I want to suggest passionately because it meant that he'd be close to God's presence. See, he did anything and everything just to be close to God's presence. He wanted it. He needed it. He longed for it, not just on a Sunday morning, but every day of the week, 24-7. And because of that, as we'll see now, he got it. See, there were 38, 38,000 Levites. And among them, one guy from Gath, an outsider, but chosen by God. That was Obadidim. There were 4,000 singers in the choir. And among them, one guy, called Obadidim. There were 288 musicians who surrounded the Ark of the Covenant, playing 24 hours a day, covering all different shifts. Among them, a guy called Obadidim. Obadidim gave up everything, and he did anything to be near the presence of God. And the story gets better. Later, we read in 1 Chronicles 26 that the gatekeepers are selected. And this was a very high and prestigious position. There were four gates, north, east, south, and west. Four entrances to the temple where the gates would be opened for those people who wanted to worship. They had um, other responsibilities too. And those chosen had to be reliable, honest, and trustworthy. And it was thought that God himself chose the gatekeepers. You see, they were, de- they, they were decided by sacred lots. Names were put into a hat. And then a priest would come along and pick a name out. It was an incredibly important position. Can you guess whose name was pulled out? A guy called Oberdedem. And it's not just for any gate. It's for the main gate. He gets the south gate. And this is the main gate because it's the gate that the king and his family would enter and exit from. You see, God chose Obed-Edom. You see, Obed-Edom had been faithful in the small things. He did everything previously to be close to God. And now God honors him with the big thing. Obed-Edom honored God in his own house to begin with when the ark was placed with him. But now God is honoring Obed-Edom in his house. Wow. In his temple by putting him in charge of it. God chose Obed-Edom, who once was an outsider, but God made him an insider. 
God chose Obed-Edom. And there were 4,000 gatekeepers too. But the chief gatekeeper among them was a guy called Obed-Edom. And that's all because Obed-Edom longed after the presence of God. You know, Obed-Edom had eight sons and they longed after the presence of God too. They were also um, gatekeepers, mighty men of God, mighty men of valor, the Bible puts it. And they went on to have their own sons who went on to have their own sons who then went on to have their own sons. You get the picture. The Bible tells us that 62 for 62 generations, Obed-Edom's children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, great-great-grandchildren, I can't say that, great-great-grandchildren, and it continues all the way for 62 generations were gatekeepers, all qualified and all capable for their work. And this is all because of one guy from Gath, an outsider called Obed-Edom, who longed after, who pushed into the presence of God. And I want to say to you this morning, doesn't matter who you are, where you've come from, whether this is your first time or not, God has no outsiders. We're all chosen. You are chosen. We're all his insiders. And that's because of a guy called Jesus, not Obed-Edom. It's a guy called Jesus that we have God's presence living on the inside of us. We don't have to chase it down. We don't have to move away. All we have to do is accept it and live it out. You see, God's presence should change us far greater than it ever did for Obadidim because it's within us. And it shouldn't just change our children and then our children's children, but everyone that we come into contact with. And as I um, close this morning, I want to conclude with um, the three Ps. And I hope this will help you remember Obadidim's story as we try and apply it to our own lives. So everyone say to me, Simon, can I have a pee, please? Those of you that used to watch blockbusters will get that. I used to love blockbusters. Just for that saying, Bob, can I have a pee, please? Anyway, moving on. The first P is put up. Put up. Obadidim was richly blessed. He was richly blessed by God, but it was his presence that truly mattered to him. You see, when the ark was removed from his household, he could have said, thank you very much. You know, that was an amazing, that was an incredible experience. And he could have lived off the blessing that God had given him. But Obadidim wasn't prepared to do that. He wasn't prepared to put up with what he had. He wasn't prepared to tell stories of what God had done. He wanted to tell stories of what God is doing. He wanted more of God. So he moved where God was moving. And how many of us, how many of us have stopped moving? How many of us have put up with what God has done in the past and how he may have blessed us? You see, none of us have to go to the extremes of Obadidim. We don't have to move away, but we, have, we may have to move something. We may have to put something aside, something out the way, so that we get more of God. Don't just put up with what you have, because with God, there is always more. Can we have another P, please, Simon? It means you asked so nicely. Pull out. Obadidim. 
Obadiah at any time could have pulled out of the things that he signed up for. Remember, he gave everything up. It would have been tough for him, you know, leaving what he had, the security of what he had. He may have been fearful of taking his family with him. That was a tough call. And you can bet he'd have been tired too, you know, especially with all the roles that he had. You see, he would have been shattered, standing on his feet all day, eight hours guarding the ark. Then there's a choir practice. Then there's a band practice. And then there's, about, then there's a meeting about rotors concerning uh, gatekeeping duty. And he could have pulled out at any time. See, um, he was fearful. He could, have pulled out when he's, um, he could have pulled out at any time when he was fearful, when he got tough, or when he got tired. He could have pulled out and gone back to the life he had before. But that wasn't an option for him. He didn't pull out and he didn't complain because he was consumed with God's presence. And we can complain all the time, can't we? We can pull out of things too all the time, can't we? You know, when it gets tough, when we get fearful or when we get tired. Just being honest, I know I can. And I did it just recently. And boy, did God um, teach me a lesson. You know, it was a Sunday just before I went on holiday, preached here on a Sunday morning, and then we drove up to um, Scotland, to Cairn Ryan, um, to catch a ferry to Northern Ireland, and that was for my week's holiday. So we, um, we got to Northern Ireland at Dee's parents' house. It was about half 11 um, that Sunday evening after being up um, very early Sunday morning, and we arrived there at half 11, and we got there. Dee's mom and dad were up, parents there, and you can't just come in and go straight to bed. So we had tea, we had toast, and we chatted for a while, and it was about one o'clock and eventually when when we got to bed um so I was very tired and Monday morning woke up and we're sitting around the breakfast table and then Dee's mom said to me Simon would you like to come to a meeting uh this evening these parents are church leaders um and they were working with this church uh, and there's a group of guys there um that have just moved in they've got some accommodation there and what's happened is they've taken a group of guys off the streets that were addicted to drugs, to alcohol, that were homeless, and they're trying to help them put their lives um, back together. Most of them had just recently become Christians. Man, that's who I am. That's where I want to spend my time with. But I'm on holiday. <laughs> and I'm tired. And as she asks around the table, every, in the morning, everything within me I wants to pull out. I don't want to do it. I just, something with it, I don't want to do it. I don't want to go. So me and Dee go out um, for the day. And I've got a stinking attitude. I've got a really bad attitude. I don't want to go. Um, but Dee's mom goes there in the afternoon with these guys and uh, cooks a four-course meal. Uh, and I turn up on the Monday evening really begrudgingly because it's my birthday on the Tuesday as well. It's my, a holiday and my birthday. And I don't want to do anything. Um, but I turn up on the, the Monday evening turn up on a Monday evening and this amazing like four course meal is cooked and then they start to tell their stories and man I'm just I'm just blown away and then all of a sudden the the lights go off uh, and a birthday cake comes out and this one guy this one guy spent that afternoon you know where just previously before he'd been shoving heroin in his arms on the streets of Belfast and he spent the afternoon making me a birthday cake. How bad did I feel? <laughs> you know, God really broke me uh, in that moment. 
But the rest of the evening was incredible. You know, we had some worship time together. We sang songs. Uh, and some of those guys' stories were incredible. And you know what? I can't wait to go back. I can't wait to go back and spend some time, um, some time with those guys. So I want to encourage you, you know, when next you want to pull out, you may feel tired. You may feel fearful. Please push in. And that's our last P. Can I have a P, please, Simon? No. Yeah, you can. This is the last P. So Obadidam knew what Moses knew, and that was that God's presence was the most important, was the most precious thing you could ever have. See, Moses said in Exodus 33 that if God's presence didn't go with him, that um, if it didn't go with the Israelites, then they wouldn't move any further. They would stay exactly where they were because God's presence was the most important thing. And here, Obadidam moves because God's presence was removed. When it was taken from his household, he moved where God was moving. Obadidam kept pushing into the presence of God, no matter what it took and no matter what the cost. You see, Obadidam may have not had the best start in life. He may have considered himself not to be a chosen one, but that all changed when God chose him and he encountered God's presence. He was totally transformed as a result. Um, he, he, his start may have not been great, but his finish was incredible. You see, he left a legacy that lasted 62 generations. All of his family pursued the presence of God because Obadidam first pushed into God. And I don't know about you, but Obadidam's story totally inspires me and I want to push into God more and I want to leave a legacy just like him if not greater I want my children and then I want my children's children all to be pursuing the presence of God and you may not have children here this morning and it's not that's not really the point you see it's about living your life so well that every person you come into contact with sees how you push into God. And then as a result, they have no choice but to do the same. And as I close this morning, I want to invite the band to, to come back. And I want to pray for you. Is that okay? I want to pray for you this morning. I want to pray that you would have the same spirit of Obadidam. I want to pray that you would always know the presence of God, that you would always keep pushing into the presence of God. And as a result of that, that generations would, of lives would, would be transformed. And if you want that prayer this morning, if you want to push into God more, then I'd like you to do something. I'd like you to do something. I'd like you to stand. You see, this is your response and it may be a start of you pushing in. So if you want that this morning, if you want to push in to more of God, I'd like you to stand. You see, it starts with us. It starts with you. And you have to push into God for yourself. Push into God with all that you have. You see, it comes from the inside out. And we're going to declare that in just a minute. But first, I want to pray for you. I've been totally inspired by Obadidam. You know, the more I've read this story, he really has become a hero. I want to, I want to pray that Obadidam spirit over you 
this morning. So let's pray. Let's close our eyes. Let's focus on God. And Father God, this morning, right here, right now, I want to pray for every person standing. I want to pray that they would continue to push into you. Father, that they would move where you are moving. I want to pray that they would always know, Father, and they would always seek your presence. And then they would live it out. I want to pray for that Obadidim spirit over each and every one of them. And for the same blessings that he had for their families, for their families' families, for their friends, for everyone that they come into contact with. Father, now I pray as a result, generations, generations would be affected. Father God, may they pursue your presence and be changed from the inside out. I want to pray that in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's worship, guys. Let's give God the praise he deserves.